Next week, uh, as some of y'all know, I'll be ordained here at uh, Middle Church in the... Um, And, uh, thank you, and uh, <laughs> next week, that's going to be hard, next week, oof. Um, but, uh, it, it, and even as it is somewhat of a transition, uh, for me, I will no longer be Minister for Congregational Life, uh, but I am excited that we are working, uh, that my, I will have a call here at Middle and stay involved uh, in, in some form. <laughs> Can't get... Can't get rid of me yet. <laughs> I'm stubborn. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that uh, as well and, and working with Jackie and Derek and others on the conference and other education stuff and uh, organizing. Uh, but it is a transition and, and, and certainly tragedies like the ones we faced in the past week, uh, death and when we think about All Saints Days and even life's transitions uh, always seem to push, for me anyways, me towards the greater existential questions of life. What is really important? What really matters? And so today I'd like to draw on the, the scripture lesson from Mark and some of the lessons that I've learned here at Middle uh, over the past two and a half years. We see one of these fundamental questions of what really matters coming from the scribe in the scripture in Mark. Uh, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Uh, he's asking for one, and in good Jesus fashion, Jesus gives two. Uh, but what, what follows in this interaction is actually the, uh, the only interaction between a scribe and, a, and Jesus and Mark that is not antagonistic. Uh, and we often skip that point because this is a really important scripture, what Jesus says. This is somewhat of a central tenet of the Christian faith. Because Jesus' response to the scribe is these two great commandments. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But if you've been following the lectionary this fall or have read much of the Gospels uh, thus far, this interaction should come as a surprise. Uh, scribes uh, would be loosely translated today as, as uh, the equivalent of lawyers. Uh, perhaps, except they have a, a, a religious function in addition to a state function. And they benefit directly from the structures of power uh, that were oppressing the Judean people of the time. And for the most part, scribe, scribes uh, played a very particular role uh, for Jesus uh, in the narratives. Is, is there was Jesus' opportunity to teach us the holy work of cursing uh, the heaven out of people in power. That's often where we find the scribes. That's the, they are the... Uh, I know there's some literary term for that, the foil. Um, so by the first lesson I pull from the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Middle Church today is that we play a dangerous game when we make assumptions about people's hearts and their histories. And certainly here at Middle Church, it is a humbling place in that sense. You Middle Church congregations and members and visitors uh, are the gift that keep on giving when it comes to pleasant and beautiful surprises. There's really, really no telling who's in the pew next to you. Uh, I think early on I tried to write sermons and prayers imagining who my audience was on Sunday morning. Who's, who's gonna be there? Who, how, how can I tailor this to them? And finally I came to the realization that the only thing we really have in common 
every single person that you can assume on a Sunday morning is that we happen to be in the same room. <laughs> and there's something to be said for that. Uh, but after that, it's anybody's guess. And online, you're in the room too. Uh, but I can't count any, uh, the number of times that you have surprised me with insights and questions uh, and hearts so full of the Spirit of God. Uh, and likewise, Jesus could have expected the scribe to continue the disingenuine and more combative uh, type of questioning debates that had characterized all the interactions up to this point. But instead, Jesus reminds us again that we may look at outward uh, appearances, but God looks at the heart. And middle, you show me that all the time. Uh, Jesus' second commandment today is often equated into common speech as the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. And while I, I can appreciate this proverb, uh, it never struck me as the deepest anchor of moral conduct. I don't know why. Uh, I can see that it can do some good. Uh, but in the wrong hands, the golden rule can actually be quite dangerous. As uh, George Bernard Shaw says, do not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Their tastes may be different. <laughs> they may be different. Uh, and it's actually, it's a bit of a stretch to get to the golden rule from the text today. Jesus is quoting Jewish scripture in Leviticus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The scribe says back in slightly different uh, love your neighbor as oneself. What we know for sure is that this is not a quantitative command. Uh, it doesn't say love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Uh, it doesn't say love your neighbor to the degree that you love yourself. Uh, one commentator compares it to the statement in Matthew where it says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, and in this sense, it's not that you're going to be the, the totality of God's perfection. That, 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 that's not what we're getting at, but the quality of God's perfection, the sense of it, the feel of it. So upon further review, uh, I actually found it hard to find uh, even the idea of self-love in this formula. Now, I, I hope you all stay with me, because I know self-love is important. We love self, I love self-love. Self-care, self-esteem, self-awareness, self-control, selfies, these are all very important. Uh, to building the kingdom of God. <laughs> they are. And I think I, I and, I, and I, I have even preached a sermon uh, where I claimed that this scripture, what it means is that your capacity to love others is dependent on your capacity to love yourself. And that makes sense to many of us because many of us have been hurt by people who can't seem to love themselves. Uh, insecure people, we have been the objects and the, the, the end of insecurities that come out in painful ways. When I think about this, I also have to ask myself, have we not been loved by people who struggle to love themselves? Have you not been cared for by a person who struggled to practice self-care? And as a depressive, I have to believe in the capacity of the human spirit to transcend this, to achieve levels of empathy for others, even as that empathy lags for oneself. So that formula doesn't quite work. One thing at middle also learns that you can make mistakes. The mistakes are holy. 
but I think the scripture may point to a different way of getting at self-love. While avoiding the pitfalls of self-idolatry, self-idolatry being a temptation of uh, all of us, regardless whether we have high self-esteem or low self-esteem, uh, you see some of the people in the media who are killing others, especially white supremacists, it is, there's a self-idolatry to it, but they certainly don't strike you as someone who has high self-esteem. So avoid that, but also avoiding the pitfalls of self-alienation. Separating from oneself in order to love oneself. That you have to somehow step outside of yourself and then love yourself back in this self-love. I think we can get there in a different angle when we look at uh, these great commandments in the, in the context of a few terms. Autonomy, self-determination, and covenant. Covenant. Uh, covenant will be a word, uh, hopefully, that we increasingly uh, hear in this uh, church as we have added the United Church of Christ as the denomination. And I thank you all for that because that's what I get to be ordained in. Uh, and as I learned more in the UCC polity class, um, that uh, I was interested and excited to find this word. Uh, and certainly UCC didn't invent it uh, when it was created. You know, UCC is only about 50 years old, uh, this idea of covenant. You know, Israel and God have been working on it for millennia. Uh, but it was exciting to find some, some words to actually uh, describe the way uh, we do things here at Middle and the type of church that we are trying to be. Uh, for the UCC, covenant is the organizing principle around which the entire denomination runs. It is the concept that uh, describes each relationship. Relationship between each body of the church, the local congregation, a local association, conference, and the national church. And this covenantal re uh, relationship is also one that we share with one another uh, between ministers, between members, and between non-members. And, of course, with God. Um, now, a covenant is, a, is, is not always what you want. Uh, it can be a dangerous thing. You don't want a covenant with a landlord. Uh, you want a contract, uh, especially in New York. Uh, covenant and contract are good uh, ways of, of, of opposites as ways of understanding each other. Uh, you know, when you sign a contract, you're signing an agreement that gives you freedom from certain violations. So you're free from uh, something. But when you enter into a covenant, you are uh, free to be in relationship. So it's a freedom from and a contract and a freedom to, a freedom to be in relationship, a freedom to love. Um, where contract is a yes to a no, covenant is a yes to a yes. You with me? We're getting there? Uh, it required, but, but the thing, covenant, is it requires something in advance. There's, there's, there's prerequisites, almost, to, to entering a covenantal relationship. And in, in the UCC polity, that's, that's, that is described as autonomy. Uh, that it requires autonomy, uh, autonomous uh, people in order to enter into these relationships. In social movements and organizing, we might call it self-determination or liberation. Uh, but only two autonomous, liberated people or entities can fully live out a covenantal relationship. It's what James Cone uh, said when he says, liberation first, and then reconciliation. Liberation first. And so I read the second commandment with you in mind, uh, Middle, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as oneself. Uh, to me, this is the realization that yourself, one's true self, is already the quality of God's love. That oneself is not only the object of love, not the loved, but the subject of love. That the boundaries between self-love and God's love and neighbor love start to converge in the self-actualization of loving as oneself. Uh, it feels like an antidote to the temptation to try to live our lives and to love others as someone else. To live and love in ways prescribed by others, prescribed by family, friends, society, and even career opportunities or success. To accommodate ourselves to the desires and expectations of others, to what we think will be met with approval, admiration, respect, or even fear. This is the temptation. Um, and as we always know, in chasing other people's consent for our existence, we always will end up empty, anxious, and confused. Uh, so yes, you've taught me, Middle, uh, to love people as ourselves, to live into covenant, this antidote to codependence and codependent relationships. This is the constant struggle towards autonomy and self-determination, and I think it's so important, especially in this time, for at least two reasons. Uh, the first being that in a resistance movement and moment uh, like the one we find ourselves in over the past two years, it's very easy to start constructing uh, an identity against the hate which we fight. When we do that, when we construct this identity against uh, that thing that we're trying to fight and dismantle, we're actually giving over our lives to be defined by forces of hate and fear just as much as someone who is in those movements of Christian, white Christian nationalism. The second reason autonomy, self-determination, and liberation are so important in this moment is that we are in danger of letting the ideology of American empire define the moral center. And today, our, it, our standards can become so low if, you, if you're paying attention to media. Uh, nowadays, you'll, you'll find that uh, people are falling over themselves trying to celebrate a polite fascist. All we need, all we need is just people to be a little more polite. That's our standard now. And the danger is also that the tragedies like last week can get us confused about the nature of the system that we start to think that violent acts of individuals and white supremacists is the way racism is uh, malforming our culture, poisoning our humanity. But we know that we could send every single bigot to outer space next week, and we still live in a racist, sexist, and economically exploitative society. It's the nature of how this system works. It doesn't need uh, that uh, the, the, the people who are running uh, uh, away with white supremacy to, for the system to work. It's been going long enough, and it's, uh, it can morph and change uh, all the time. And so this mystery of faith as seen in covenant is always a triangular one. Uh, I know I've met some liberated people, but I've never met a liberated person who thinks they're done getting liberated. We don't want to think of ourselves even as a liberated church or an because that means that we've arrived. And the second you've arrived, you think you've arrived is when things go wrong. So we want to be a liberating church, a self-actualizing church, the subject of this thing we are pursuing. 
See, love of God, which is really consent to love, is a third party that nourishes relationships here, be it lovers, friends, family, colleagues, church members. In Jesus' response to the scribe, there's actually three steps before we get to the one about loving the neighbor as oneself. A quotation from Deuteronomy starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. So the first one is, Lord, our God. The God I claim, the God we claim, has a claim on me, but not just me. The God we serve, the God we claim, has a claim on us, but not just us. That this is our God. This isn't a privatized Christian God. This is a God that belongs to all people. And middle, I, I think, you know, you learned some of that stuff in seminary uh, theoretically, but the, the way that you have embodied that commitment uh, for so long uh, has had a profound impact on my faith and my perspective on the expansiveness of God and the expansiveness of this uh, community. It is the spirit of community that, that Jackie cap- captures in a beautiful transitional phrase for where we are right now, saying, uh, we are becoming more Christian and more universal at the same time. Isn't that all right? So second, God is one. And now Jesus isn't making some argument about the superiority of monotheism to polytheism. Uh, But what I think he's pointing us towards is that there is a creative life force that is undivided. That this thing that is powering our capacity to love our neighbor as ourselves has no split allegiances. It's what the Buddhists may describe as non-dualism. And thirdly, we say that it is our God, it's everyone's God, that God is one. And thirdly, we are called to honor the creative loving life force that moves through each of us by loving the one some of us do call God. Yes, to love God with all our heart, Cardia in the Greek, the center source of lifeblood, the center of our being, the thing that makes us tick. With all our soul from the uh, Greek suke, where we get psyche, meaning to breathe or to blow. The remnants and aftermath of God's breath of life that gifted each of us as an ensouled person and a unique personality, that peace of God in us. With all our mind from the Greek of not just mind, but the total mind, the dianoia, dia meaning from side to side like diameter, or thoroughly or fully having covered all the ideas. And finally, with all our strength, iskus in the Greek, is being a force, and kous to have, the force and strength that is already inside us from the beginning. The Hebrew word in Deuteronomy gets translated as muchness. And I don't even know how to theologize that word. I've never heard it before, but I, but I love it anyway. When life seems to be draining the life force from you, separating you from the love that made you, just draw on your muchness. That's already there. Now, the, the most scandalous thing Jesus says in this text to the scribe is at the end. And you'll notice that sometimes we've been throwing in the word kingdom. We take the G out of kingdom as a way to create new metaphors that are less patriarchal and uh, more fitting for our time now. Uh, But uh, you see, the the scribe agrees with Jesus and says that loving God and loving your neighbor as oneself is more important than all the sacrifices in the temple, the temple where he actually gets all of his livelihood from. 
And Jesus says back to him approvingly, you are not far from the kingdom. The truth remains today as it did 2,000 years ago middle, that when you covenant with the cosmic to insist on the humanity and integrity of all peoples as your authentic and genuine self, you're not far from the kingdom. When you middle conspire with the cosmic, you're not far from the kingdom. The vision of heaven on earth that we get glimpses of every day here at middle and twice on Sunday. <laughs> and yet that glimpse is, is not even scratching the surface of the glory of God that is yet to be revealed in this place. Through, in, and by each of you, each of us. Amen. Amen.